So as always, thank you for joining me. Enjoy the podcast. Kick back and relax. The force is strong and is with us always. And never forget. We have hope. Rebellions are built on hope. of this moment the force is strong make ten men feel like a hundred I'll take the next chance and the next you're rebels aren't you You call it the Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Yo, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzle cast, welcome back to the long-awaited continuation of the Bizzle's Daily Rebels featuring Simi Klimo himself. We are doing the final three episodes of a Star Wars Rebels Season 3 Twin Sons and then uh, the two-part finale, uh, which are episodes, depending on how you're counting, 19, 20, and 21. We're going to do a short intro here, and then we are going to go basically straight through the episodes, uh, other than the countdowns for each one. But first of all, I want to welcome back Simi Klimo. Simi! Hey, man. How's it going? It's going great, dude. Uh, Bizzlecast listeners, just a little behind the scenes. So my Mac was in the shop for like three weeks. Simi and I tried to do uh, basically this podcast uh, on an old ass PC with crappy software and no mic because that was also in the shop. Uh, so this is our second run through uh, Twin Sons, which is an all time classic and interesting uh, episode of a television period, but especially Star Wars Rebels. And then the two part finale, which is the first major battle with Thrawn, uh, presaging even more intense efforts of the Empire leading up to Rogue One in Season 4. And Simi, we will talk about during the two-part finale, uh, Zero Hour, Parts 1 and 2, how it's really starting to connect to Rogue One, and obviously Season 4, which we'll get to next. There's tons of connections with Rogue One, with Mon Mothma and Saw Gerrera and so forth. These are three really interesting episodes, a great way to end Season 3, and had everyone super pumped going into Season 4. But first of all, man, how you doing? Great to have you back on the podcast. Dude, I'm good. I'm good. Happy. I uh, hope everybody had a Memorial Day uh, off and God bless our troops and our fallen soldiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amen. It's great to Amen. be here, man. It's yep. great to be here. Yep. Um, and it's funny, just uh, li- even though we've done this already once, as you went through everything that was happening, I felt really overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot that goes on in it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, maybe we're not ready to do this. But since we've done it already once before, I, I, I think we're ready. I yeah, think we're ready. Absolutely. And I, I, I think we can give them what they want. So, uh, really quick update. We're getting unbelievable set photos from episode nine, including uh, John Boyega um, and uh, Naomi, uh, what's her face? The new character, main character, riding these like goat horse creatures with bows and arrows. It's like Avatar, but way fucking cooler in the desert. Uh, and obviously amazing shots of Rey and Kylo. People are getting super pumped up for episode nine simi you and i from the beginning were optimistic this movie was going to be great but you have to admit it's great that even the skeptical fans seem to be getting on board now after some let's be honest controversy mixed with apathy uh between last jedi and and solo yeah i think also a little like uh star wars uh i think they realized it was a little too much at a time because there was such a lacking that they were trying Mm -hmm. to fill all these voids and I think they're really doing it the right way by spreading it all over these properties, mm-hmm. uh, extending some release dates a little differently than they did before. Yep. And you guys, you and I have said it a hundred times. I think, I think Solo is going to be way more appreciated, um, yes. you know, as, as in the purchase and in the aftermath and, um, and not necessarily in the theaters. But it's funny you bring up Solo and uh, uh, scene pictures. I actually just bought a great... Uh, a great, a great solo uh, 
seen like from all the desert soda like all this behind the scenes shots and everything it's incredible yeah um great coffee table book awesome but um really quickly just to follow up on that really quick Sammy, i know you love solo my hardcore Sol- uh star wars fans love solo for the most part what's so interesting is you think replacing harrison ford no matter how great the actor is and let's be honest alden ehrenreich was spectacular given the pressure and the situation but you'd think the hardcore fans would have been the skeptical ones who the most part they loved alden ehrenreich we thought it was going to be about amelia clark and donald glover and hopefully alden ehrenreich was okay but he ended up being as amazing as we wanted along with chewbacca and great supporting performances from uh khaleesi herself i won't ask you about game of thrones that's a separate podcast even though i like the finale i know there was mixed opinion about the final season um uh, uh, but she's amazing i think we can agree amelia clark and i i love her more and more um as uh as as kira in that movie all the supporting cast is great it does age awesome i watch it a lot even in the background uh when when i don't feel like rogue one intensity you know what i mean and you and i Uh love the two you know let's be honest we love the two anthology movies that take place between three and four with rogue one and solo and so while we're pumped for nine i think we're also really excited to go to a completely different time and space with the game of thrones directors movies and maybe ryan johnson or we'll see what happens as well as the mandalorian season one which is the launch title of disney plus which is coming out in a few months uh, uh which by the way they've already renewed the mandalorian for season two even though no one's seen season one so they must be happy with john favreau dave filoni and company with the mandalorian we're getting the clone wars at the end of this year early next year we're getting cassian at some point next year we have some other rumors about shows at semi really quickly though um final star wars question and we will get into uh the commentaries for twin sons and zero hours part one and two which is who saw coming that Star Wars, which is totally a film property, even though it's been great with the Clone Wars and Rebels animated series, obviously on TV, which we've been covering extensively, who saw them taking three years off between Episode Nine and the next movie in 2022 and focusing exclusively on television, but not only that, beating Marvel so far at their own game, even though people are excited for Bucky and, and Sam Wilson, uh, the Winter Soldier uh, Falcon series, people are excited for WandaVision, people are excited for Loki series, people are excited for Hawkeye series. Nevertheless, the Star Wars series are really stealing the show, especially with the Mandalorian, huge budget cast, you know, directors, the whole thing, uh, uh, you know, b- uh, focusing on television. And this goes back to your point about taking time off. The year and a half between Solo and Episode 9 is starting to look like a brilliant idea in terms of building expectation for Episode 9. And I, I can't even imagine the buildup and-, and blue balls leading for three years to the next movie. Um, right. But at the same time the expectation is ultimately good for the fan base thoughts right i think they're i think they're taking time to tell the canon in different uh in different mediums all throughout the the star wars universe and uh you know it's one of our whiffs actually was that you know just to go back how you're talking about solo on, on the characters was that we thought we thought that the new that the new solo was just going to be uh, a supporting character uh, we didn't think that he was actually going to be like steal the show. And he did because he was because everybody kept saying that he wasn't a good actor and that like I don't he think, was going to stick out. Yeah. I think I think it wasn't that he wasn't a good I actor. It was that no one can play Han Solo other than Harrison Ford, I think. Well, no, I thought the narrative that was he's a mediocre actor and he's going to kind of just wing this because he looks like if him. you saw him and, in the Coen Brothers movie, he was a borderline supporting actor nomination from what I understand in that movie. Right. Oh, I hope so. Uh, but I mean, I, and I, I would think just from what I saw, he was really good. I thought he was the standout that was not as good as some of the people that he was going to be surrounded by with Childish Gambino, yep. Bambino and, and, and Khaleesi. Um, yeah. And Khaleesi and uh, Vision and, and, and exactly. so on and so on. Exactly. You know, so. And Woody. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I fucking forgot about mm-hmm. Woody's like my favorite character in everything. But yep. like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but when he starts wrestling Chewie in the mud pit and they become buddies immediately, you're like, okay, I'm in, right? That's the Jetta, as I always say, with Rogue One. If you're not in at Jetta and Rogue One, you're not in at all. If you're not in with Chewie and him in the mud pit and becoming buddies, that you're, you know, and then the, the mission they go on. Um, and so uh, that movie's aging great. And here we go with the Rebels, which also takes place between three and four, man. And as great as the Clone Wars is, you know, it's all a big charade, you know, charade uh, and facade. Uh, 
uh, of a fake war created by Palpatine, which is interesting. And the Ahsoka, Anakin, Obi-Wan stuff is phenomenal. And we'll continue those commentaries when we get access to them. Now that they love Netflix, we will have Disney Plus soon, uh, which will be great to get all that content. But let's be honest, the fact that Rebels more and more started leading up to Rogue One, and this will lead into our commentary, certainly made a very, very good animated show even more interesting when you bring in Mon Mothma, Jimmy Smith, well, not Jimmy Smith, Bail Organa, um, uh, and Saw Gerrera with Force Whitaker voicing, and our, our, our girl Genevieve O'Reilly voicing Mon Mothma, and they got Ian McDermott back as Palpatine uh, in season four, which we will get to. It really builds towards Rogue One, even though Rogue One came out before season four, right? By the way, Woody in Zombieland was incredible. I, I stand by what I said. I've never seen Woody not be great in any movie, regardless of how corny or stupid the movie was. He, him and Haley Steinfeld in Edge of Seventeen is like one of my favorite relationships of all time. He's great in all the West or sort of modern, semi postmodern westerns that he's in. He's great in True Detective. Him and McConaughey. I mean, I, I just I love Woody. And remember that little show called Cheers. I mean, I've seen every episode of Well, that. I, I don't want to tickle your balls too much, and then we'll get into the commentary for real. But I'm hearing very strongly that they are trying to figure out what to do with the solo cast. It might be a TV show. It might be a TV movie. It might be a low-budget sequel at some point. But they realize the talent and, you know, uh, ultimately great reception. By the way, dude, they've more than broken even on Solo after it seemed like they were going to lose money because of the post-market sales and so forth. Um, I have well, that, I guess different. that was our, that was our yeah, call. Right. We, we called that for sure. Um, and so, okay, dude, um, we're going to get you guys into Twin Suns, Season 3, Episode 19. We'll give you the little countdown spiel really quick. Quickly, though, Simi, in the wake of an amazing Avengers finale, today was confirmed that Scarlett Johansson is filming in Norway for the Black Widow sequel, which is already coming out next year. I know X-Men and Spider-Man are coming out in the next couple months, and I'm excited for those, but goddamn, no one deserves a movie more than Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow. I am so thrilled. Disney is just killing it on all cylinders. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. I mean, she deserves it. Also, I think there was... I think people are realizing that she's actually dead. She's one of the ones that are actually dead in the real Marvel in the current Marvel universe. Right. So, but this the prequel a little bit of a was consolation. already. Yeah, the prequel was even if before Endgame, where we weren't sure who was going to die. It seemed like the prequel was always because everyone wants to see her be the Russian assassin and then ultimately be turned. I think by Hawkeye, Jeremy Renner will be in the movie at the end during the the Budapest thing or whatever, where he turns her and brings her to Shield and makes her a good guy or whatever. Um, I think we're going to see, and this will be the connectivity between the TV universe and the movie universe with the MCU that we haven't seen so far. And uh, like I said, man, Star Wars is way ahead of the curve because. Because there is going to be a no split. You know how like Netflix, the Defenders or Agents of Shield, they like occasionally mention things in the movie. And in the movies, they never reference the television show or Jessica Jones or Luke Cage or anything. The Star mm-hmm. Wars is going to be completely c- connective, regardless of if it's TV. The budgets are going to be big, and all the stories are connected. And by the way, we've got the Mandalorian, we've got uh, Clone Wars, which is the Siege of Mandalore. We seem to be getting uh, Knights of the Old Republic. You know, three thousand years years ago jedi which you and i have been predicting slash hoping for for a while with the game of thrones guys with the movies which is gonna seriously involve the mandalorian to the third party and the wars between the jedi and the sith they are really building connectivity between the mandalorian stuff uh and of course our girl sabine uh which we will talk more about especially at the beginning of season four in a future podcast but you know hats off to kevin feige and everyone at marvel and of course you know the golden goddess herself kathleen kennedy and, and dave filoni of you know who's basically the number two at this point um, and, and all that at, at, at Disney and, and everything coming together with Lucasfilm and so forth. Um, so, okay, guys, we're going to get you into the countdown here. So you're going to queue up to 000 for season three, episode 19, Twin Suds, Obi-Wan versus Darth Maul, baby. The buildup's a little weird, Simi, and we'll talk about the structure of the episode, but there's no doubt the climax of this episode is all-time great, like Crouching Tiger great, you know, uh, and we'll talk about those comparisons. So get some subtitles, maybe a little ambient sound. Uh, Simi is going to do a five count uh, when I'm going to count from. So I'm going to count down from three to two to one. I'm going to say go. You hit play at zero, zero, zero. Simi's going to do a five count to make sure you guys are aligned and that I'm aligned and then everything will work out great. Simi, any final thoughts? No, man, I'm pumped. Let's do it. Let me let me 
get the lighting going a little bit here. I got my beer. I got my seltzer water, so I stay hydrated. Um, and uh, yeah, guys, we're going to have a great time finishing season three. Uh, I've seen Twin Suns a lot, man. I watched the episode a lot. Um, Zero Hour, I did watch in the background today just to get some refamiliarity with it. But it'll be interesting to analyze this battle because, you know, this couldn't have been the big, huge battle against Thrawn because they have to have the big, huge battle at the end of season four. But with the Bendu and everything, it's great. So we got a lot to talk about, guys. And like I said, we're going to basically, um, in terms of on the recording, even if Simi and I take a short break, on the recording, we're going to go straight from episode 19 to episode 20 to episode 21. So if you guys need to take a break in between, you just pause and then get ready for the countdown for those. Uh, and we won't do the explanation. We'll just do the countdown. So Simi, unless you have any other thoughts or concerns, I'm going to count us down. I am at five seconds. You're going to do a five count and we are going to rock this shit. Yeah, man, let's do it. Okay. All right, guys. So here comes the countdown from three to two to one. I say go. Simi's going to do a five count to make sure you're aligned and I'm aligned and we're going to have a great time. So here comes the countdown, Simi. Three, two, one, and go. One, two, three, four, five. All right, here we go, baby. Twin Suns. Where are we, Simi? We are in the fucking desert. We're on always. This is always like... We were having some good conversations about this before. So this is it opens, of course, with Maul and his poetry, his Shakespearean self. It's a mixture of Shakespeare and Gollum, which I love, obviously. He talks to himself. He has different voices depending on his mood. Yeah, he's out of his fucking mind. God bless Sam Whitworth does his voice. He's really amazing. But I think what we were just saying earlier is yes. like, it's hard to know if this is the best episode or it's just the best like three minutes yeah. at one point, you know, which is also fair. Right. This, this, the, my problem with this episode, it, I mean, it's amazingly shot. It, you know, look at the way the camera moves as you know, how they shoot Gollum from different sides when he's talking to himself. They're doing something very similar here with the, the quick camera movements right there. There's another shot. He's got the little right. cane, the hair, almost like a Yoda a sta- cane, right? Staff thing. Um, and the robes, uh, he tricks Ezra, of course. I'm not still totally sure how he completely uh, uh, tricks Ezra. Um, but, you know, to me, I- I'm the guy who doesn't really care about plot twists or awesome endings. Uh, like, I didn't think the Avengers Endgame ending was, like, so amazing like some people. But the middle part of the movie was so great. I care about the journey. But in this case, the final three minutes makes it all worth it. Especially because it closes off Ezra's weird journey in connection with Maul for good, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's funny you talk about that. Everybody has their opinions about Game of Thrones and we talk about Game of Thrones forever. But in uh, episode three of Game of Thrones, when the Night King is murdered uh, by uh, Stark, by uh, Arya, Arya. it's it's basically the best eight minutes of TV I've ever seen in my life, if you can even call it TV. It's like leading up to, there's this whole build and everything. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I think that's just kind of simple. I mean, like, after all the horribleness. Well. Like, just like how it builds and builds and builds I mean, dude, to this cool kind of episode. After all the horribleness with the Starks in the early season, you think there's no way they're going to make it more than a few seasons. And yet at the end, there's like three or four Starks still alive, depending on how you would account it, including the King, including the North. You know, Arya's a pirate sailing west. It's a happy ending. I don't know what it says that I watched three and a half seasons of Game of Thrones and occasional episodes and love the final ha- happy ending episode. Uh, uh, At yeah. some level, they left with four kings. Uh, yeah. Because there is no taking the black anymore. He's just the king of the free people. That was the whole thing. He just left with the free people and went north, and he's okay. going to be the king of the free well, people. We, so. we'll, we'll do a Game of Thrones retrospective. Anyway. Here, so here's the Obi-Wan message. And there's so if, in case you had any doubt, Maul triggered that message, right, in some way. It was the old message, right? It was right, the old right. message, but he triggered it to get Ezra thinking. This all this part made me feel better that he was uh, that Kanan was immediately involved because like mm. it's always like Maul 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 uh, like kind of pushing Ezra and Ezra just kind of does what he wants but I like that like you know he didn't have to keep this a secret again you know yeah. from his master 
you know, one of the reasons or two of the reasons I love that Kanan keeps the mask on at times. One, every time I see him with just the, the light blue eyes, the blind eyes, it reminds me of that really epic final scene where he sacrifices himself and it makes me sad. So when he's got the mask on, I could kind of temporarily forget that Kanan dies, even though we all saw it coming. But also, he, whenever it's just him and Hera, he takes it off and he says, you know, you could always see me. I could always see you kind of thing. It reminds me, I, I know you didn't finish Battlestar, but in season four, they really finally go into the Adama Roslin mature relationship complicated between those two. And I made the comparison in past podcasts between uh, the Hurricane and even though they're younger than Roslin and Adama, the sort of mature older relationship between those two is so sweet and touching. Uh, uh, I-, I felt like. Like that's the same kind of relationship that they're like really helping out or really combining, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the two big leaders in this. They're still able to have like a, a love affair. Yeah, I will say starting in this episode, continuing big time in the final two, which we're doing after this and through all of season four, the shooting just gets so three dimensional and cinematic. We see all sorts of moving shots and interesting angles that we don't normally get with rebels. And so while the ground battles are never as thrilling as you want, because they can't live up to the Clone Wars huge war scenes. Uh, the, the the epic nature of the character's journey, sort of like in Rogue One, right? I mean, as great as the space battle and ground battle in Rogue One, the reason we end up loving the movie is the central character's interactions. And I think that's the case with Rebels, too. One of many connections between Rebels and Rogue One. Go ahead. So a lot of this is also like uh, reminiscent of uh, Empire Strikes Back, where Luke doesn't exactly steal the ship, but he also doesn't exactly tell that many people where he's going. Yes. And so like, uh, and he's like, he feels like it's his own mission. And it's own battle. And Here we go. so, I mean, like he should be court martialed for this. If he was actually like really, you know, not like the chosen and one at some level at this point, at the um, end of this episode, spoiler alert, they completely embrace him as if they fully understand why this has to happen. Because what's interesting, man, is Maul thinks he's manipulating this whole situation to kill Obi-Wan and, and trick Ezra and so forth. Ultimately, Ezra is the one who ends Maul and ends that threat, which in some ways is more interesting and momentous than whatever happens with Thrawn at the end of the series. Right. Because right. Maul has been a threat going back to episode one. Right. I mean, or even solo. (laughs) And and again, I always quote the Darth Vader quote from the original New Hope, where he says the power to destroy a planet is nothing compared to the power of the force. And that's what I would say with Maul versus Thrawn. Thrawn might have a thousand Star Destroyers, but the the chaos that that Maul can, uh, you know, uh, do as we see in the Clone Wars with the killing of Satine, the taking over of Mandalore. And we're going to see the conclusion of that with the Soka versus Maul and the Siege of Mandalore, baby. You know, with him just being a crazy but super powerful Sith uh, or just dark side force user he can do as much damage or more than Thrawn in sort of the big picture depending on how you want to look at the situation and uh, and Chopper of course joins him as does R2-D2 joining Luke do you think uh do you remember the first time he gets sucked in by Maul? Kanan, like, secretly has Sabine put a tracker on him. You remember that? Uh, you know, early, yeah. early in the season. Do you think Hera uh, was onto him in this one and sort of told Chopper to do it? Yeah, and I also think her I need you for this was kind of bullshit. Like, um, but, you know, at some level, he has powers that they don't understand. Uh, I think Kanan you know. also senses that this journey has to happen. He he could right. have put the kibosh on this and sensed what was going on with Ezra. And he trusted in Kenobi, which is so interesting because he's only seen the hologram. Although, if you read the comics when he's training with Depo Palaba and so forth, pre-Order 66, I'm sure he ran across Obi-Wan and looked up to him and worshipped him like Yoda and so forth, Mace Windu. I think he references him at one point. Um, and by the way, the Obi-Wan either. and uh, Qui-Gon book, which is pretty good, Master and Apprentice, um, I, I'm getting through slowly. Depo Palaba, who ends up being Kanan's master, is, is kind of a major character in that. So it's cool to see that continuity and expansion of that particular part of the lore. That's important because, I mean, uh, we all, well, I at least look at a lot of these guys as this like Mount Rushmore of Jedi, especially the ones who can come back like yeah. Qui Gon and well, um, and Kanan proves that he he's also 
or hinted at that he's part of that realm as yeah. well, well uh, it, with it, his work with the Bendu and everything else. Well, and dude, what's so interesting, fascinating, and unique about Depopalapa's story is that before she takes on Kanan, she fails in like a horrible way in the Clone Wars and they give her one more chance, but she is sort of cast out, uh, you know, I- informally, like socially, she's sort of discriminated against in the Jedi Order. But Kanan has a feeling about her, even as a, you know, crazy young kid that he wants to, he thinks she's so cool and begs her over and over again to train with her. And she ends up reclaiming herself and her dignity and, and so forth by taking Making him on, making him great, and then ultimately risking and, and sacrificing her life during Order sixty six to, to save Kanan, and look what that led to. Right. I mean, it's not unlike Obi Wan dying with Vader to save Luke. This is just foolish. And then again, you know, attacked by the Sand people, just like Luke, and who comes to save him? Yeah. This is a mix yeah. of fan service and kid stuff, which I'm totally fine with, especially with the awesome shooting and the blowing up of that. <laughs> Look at that. Uh, he saved Chopper. Oh. Whoop. Yeah, mm, killing Tuscan Raiders. I feel like we've seen this before. Anakin <laughs> Skywalker. Short-lived victory. I think the worst part of the worst movie, Attack of the Clones, is when he goes to Natalie Portman, admits that he killed Tuscan Raider babies, and she's like, oh, Anakin, I love you. <laughs> It's okay. We can get through this. We're stronger than this. No, no, no. I murdered like children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard you the first time. But that shows your <laughs> vulnerability. But this is the Raylo thing. You know, the girls uh, love Anakin Skywalker and they love Kylo Ren. We won't go there. Oh my God. Troubled people who understand the vision. Never mind. They're going to be so disappointed when Ray murders Kylo. <laughs> The only question yeah, is your or my theory. Your theory is that she's going to, you know, plan it and trick him and murder him and, you know, and whisper final words of like, how does it feel kind of thing, which I would be fine with. My theory is that he's going to beg her or she's going to be forced to kill him in some way and be sad about it. And they'll have a brief moment, but then she has to kill him. I, either way, I'd be fine. But people think that they're going to ride off into the sunset and that's desirable and somehow a good message are absolutely insane. Not because he killed yeah. Han Solo and a lot of other people, but because he's totally psychotic and irredeemable. And he had his opportunity. If, if they were gonna, if he was gonna like join, uh, he they would have done it after um, the Last Jedi. And look, if they um, had wanted to stress that Snoke forced him somehow to kill Han Solo and so forth, they didn't do a very good job in Episode Seven and Eight. So people who are convincing right. themselves that Snoke somehow made him kill Solo are deluding themselves. Okay, let's get back here. He's got the holocrons. You know, the whole thing. Look at that. He's got the blaster. You know, just like Kanan, he's got a blaster and he's got the uh, lightsaber. Just like Luke. Just like Luke. Luke and... Uh, cowboy Jedis. In, in, in Empire, he had a blaster. Oh, a by the way, another Rogue One connection. You mentioned the Empire Strikes Back connection a few uh, minutes ago. I don't know if you remember in our commentary of Rogue One, uh, among many awesome things, which was... Even though Rogue One leads so spectacularly directly into Episode Four, and they're fun to watch back to back, the aesthetic of Rogue One is very Empire Strikes Back, and I think they're channeling yeah. that in the late season three and season four of Rebels. I mean, the spark of the rebellion from Star Wars Rebels four seasons into Jyn Erso and the Rogue One crew is so seamless. We must think that this Lucasfilm story group had this in mind years before all this happened. It seems like to me. This is such a badass part. Draw him out. So this is just a vision, right? A delusion? No, 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 no. He's he's pushing him in the direction of... Uh, he He's watching him this whole time. Can I wind back and ask you a oh. question from the beginning of the episode? Yeah. What do you think is going on in Ezra's brain in the period between seeing Obi-Wan's hologram and stealing the A-Wing? Like, what do you, what do you think he think he's going to accomplish with all this. Honestly, it's a little bit of the last Jedi. Like they're looking for Obi-Wan, but he doesn't really, Everybody he doesn't know Obi-Wan's, Obi-Wan's alive. He doesn't know who it Luke Skywalker it is. He doesn't matter. He is such a yeah. strong, yeah. well, actually I'll take that back. He actually may, he doesn't know it, but the feeling he's getting mm-hmm. of the message and then, perhaps feeling mm-hmm. Obi-Wan's lifeline, mm-hmm. he might know like that 
there's something wrong with this story. And if General Kenobi is still alive, it's worth going to check there. And that's that's what that was his whole point. Like I'm getting this message, and it's not like I mean you saw it, Kanan. It's from a fucking holocron. Like it could be anything, but at some level, it in his mind, I think if if there's a chance that this could lead me to Obi Wan Kenobi, then it's worth stealing this plane because like Aww, that if that I'm show. right about Aww. this. This is what Rebels does so well. They're shooting one or two characters and all these. And look at the facial expressions. I mean, again, the ground and space battles can't compare to Clone Wars, but the facial expressions and the small things in Rebels really got awesome, I think. They really learned their lessons and, and the animation got better. Oh. They did well with his eyes. What's so fascinating about this relationship, Simi, is he's constantly being manipulated by Maul, but even going back to Twilight of the Apprentice, where Maul first appears in Rebels, I never feel like he's under Maul's spell, but he is drawn to him in a weird way. Oh, here we go, baby. Well, Steven he's not Stanton. under Maul's spell. He, he's attracted to the dark side. Every Jedi. Yeah, I don't agree with if, that. If a, yeah. Oh, you don't think that every Jedi goes through the grapple of dark and light every day. They, they have to decipher whether there's a dark or a light. I mean, know, like. I can only give you my opinion, which is that the only time Ezra really flirts with the dark side is the first episode of season three, the premiere, where Kanan has gone off the reservation and he's lost his way and he's using the Sith holocron and you see his eyes turn and he's, you know, celebrating the death of stormtroopers and stuff like that. But after that, yeah. moment, when, once Kanan comes back and starts being his friend slash brother slash father, slash therapist you know it's much more complicated what's going on okay this is steven stanton he's done admiral Radis and a ton of voices in the animated series and the movies uh and uh simi and i talked off mike before this this is the only like alec guinness impression uh or not impression because you and mcgregor's channeling it but this is the only like older obi-wan you know right before we see him in a new hope right that we get and goddamn does he do a great obi-wan God, I wish Obi-Wan Kenobi could narrate a book for me that I could just listen to. He's my favorite. I mean, Leia's, in terms of my heart, like my personal favorite, it's still Leia always. I love everything Leia. But in terms of like the lore of Star Wars and the characters through all the movies and the series, it's definitely Obi-Wan. No no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. I also like, uh, you know, being able to watch his story yep. uh, with, with even though those those episodes, the first three weren't great. Ian McGregor, McGregor was great. So. Everyone agrees. Everyone wants the series. He wants to do it. They'll make it happen. Well, no, I meant, I meant the series like that. You actually got to follow Obi-Wan throughout these, uh, you know, these first four five movies, six movies. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. he's in all of them. And the Clone Wars and now Rebels. And right. he's mentioned in Rogue One as is Leia. Your friend, the Jedi. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it someone you can trust? I would trust her with yeah, my life. The truth. Right. The truth. He's explaining it's the philosophy. Thing. But, dude, I think part of the explanation for Ezra's journey here, and I agree with the, your your theory, uh, here's Maul, is how not surprised uh, Ezra is that Obi-Wan's alive. Well, no, I think he was sure that he was alive. This is Everybody great. else is... This is great. You think Ezra's going to get involved in this when you first watch it, or at least watch the battle? Obi-Wan's like, nope, leave kid, and it's just about these two. And you just finished the last few episodes watching uh, Maul like, mm-hmm. just fucking wreck house. Okay, you really know? quickly. Like, show his real strength. In addition to this amazingness that's coming up really quickly, dude, the two main like lore uh, things that come out of this episode in terms of the movies is one, it confirms that Luke is the chosen one and not Anakin, which is controversial, but Obi-Wan says very clearly to Maul in a couple minutes. But two, man, that Obi-Wan in The New Hope, as you and I talked about, is way more aware of what's going on and not the crazy old Ben that it seems like if you just watch the new hope you know that he's putting on the old man show for Luke and he's much wiser to the situation it's incredible he's totally not nutso here he's completely lucid completely clear and and, you know new hope happens you know less than a year after this I think although they make Mm -hmm. Luke look like a little kid so I don't know I think they also uh, wow 
So, so this is our point. Yeah, it, it did, was the whole thing. It. This episode just for this. It's worth it. You know, it's totally off. worth it. Yeah, because With the build the up wasn't just filling time. It was all building the importance of this because the fight itself is two seconds, but the talk before the fight is always the fun part, right? It's like a shootout in the old west. You know, someone dies immediately when the guns start going off. It's the it's the the banter. Here we go. And there it is. There's the Obi Wan. There's the uh is that the Qui-Gon or did he do th- No, Maul came in with his own he pulled turned on the second blade. So here's Obi-Wan. So oh man, this is a wet dream for Dave Filoni. He was so pumped. Now he's doing the Obi-Wan. That was the Qui-Gon before. Oh this yeah, is the baby, the baseball bat. Yeah. Here we go. I'm gonna count once they go. It's like two seconds. It's so brilliant. It's really a great standoff, a great uh, showdown. At the Only OK Star Grill. Wars. This is like the Ray Kylo standoff. One, two, three, four. Dead. Four seconds. And this is so amazing, this part right here. Doesn't even break a sweat. The res- No, the yeah. respect for his, his, yeah. his for the, the, this has been his battle. And this and is. He catches him. Yeah, this How is many so people sweet. catch this? This is one of the best moments of all time. He holds him and he doesn't let him here die alone. And he's happy, no and he just wants to know. Alone. Okay, he says, is he the chosen one? He says he is, meaning Luke. And here comes, this is my favorite part. He says he will avenge us. Watch this look on Obi-Wan's face. He feels so bad for Maul. He is going, dude, you still don't get it in your dying moments. It's not about vengeance, but I'm still going to give you the respect right. you deserve. Look at this. Look how tender this is. After He killed Qui-Gon, yeah. murdered tons of people. Yeah. And he could, because he, you know, that's the difference between evil and, and good and evil. People that are good understand compassion. So no matter how wrong mm-hmm. Maul wronged Obi-Wan by killing his master or his friend, his father, whatever you want to call him, mm-hmm. uh, he still knew what he took from him. He took his legs. He took yeah. his, he took his mind. Yeah. He took his, he took, and, he and took dude, everything. He took everything that mattered to Maul as well. It's, and all he was doing yeah. was finishing him off. And and Maul, Maul, I would argue Maul did not go. come there to kill Obi Wan. I believe That's Maul I came there to you. be killed by Obi Wan to die. I, he I think he his- actually was there to to see if it was the chosen one and that Obi Wan was worthy because he wants the Sith to go down, even though it's a different right. way than Obi Wan. Well, Obi-Wan. I think that's what he meant. That's why he will avenge, avenge us. He's like, I don't want uh, Obi Wan looked at him with sorrow because he's like. I don't want vengeance, but I see why you do, old go. friend, nemesis. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this quick, a thin line between friend and nemesis, a la, you know, um, Professor X and uh, Magneto. So really, you know? really quick, Simi, because you've read A New Dawn, which was the first piece of new canon, which is the prequel to this with Kanan and Hera. Um, before Rebels came out, was written by John Jackson Miller, who was most well known for writing the last major Star Wars book before Disney took over and created the new canon, which was just called Kenobi. And his amazing set of tales of his battles against Tusken Raiders and Raider and just bad people in general on Tatooine, leading up to uh, you know to a new hope and so forth. They've started to work in things about Kenobi, dude, but we haven't talked about this between Episode Three and four this is the only direct piece of obi-wan lore that we know about even master and apprentice is a is basically a prequel to episode one right and so that's what, part of the reason everyone wants the ewan mcgregor obi-wan movies not just because we love ewan mcgregor as obi-wan that's a big part of it but because we want the lore of like what is obi-wan doing and, uh, i won't mention my book which takes place during this time with ahsoka but what is he doing during the 20 30 years why does he age so much and like does he go crazy is he lucid the whole time right uh, on Tatooine uh, during that time between episode three and four. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. God, that was a great episode. It's so good. It's so that good. So good. It's so. That I mean, so just good. the it, just the looks between them before the battle, and then his compassion after the battle is everything you need to know about Obi Wan. He is completely focused after all these years to his mission, um, and, and so that's I think what we have to take away from it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really, that's a really great episode. And I think it's a separate ending to this season that they're like, let's tie this up. Yep. 
And I think they did a really good job. Okay, guys. So we are going to count you in to Zero Hour Part 1, episode 20 of Season 3, which leads into Zero Hour Part 2, which, you know, it's a two-part finale with the Thrawn battle. Uh, Just to get it out ahead of time, my main critique is going to be, because they knew that there was going to be even more epic Thrawn battles in Season 4, and combined with the fact that they had a lower budget than Clone Wars and they just can't do epic ground battles in the same way, it's a little underwhelming in terms of the battle itself. Uh, but again, because Thrawn's such a great villain and the return of Sabine and, and the team coming together in the Bendu, I think overall it, it is a satisfying finale and makes you want more for season four. So I'm interested in your thoughts about that when we uh, get into that in a second. Any final thoughts about Twin Suns? It, it's sort of a... St- what's weird about Twin Suns it's one of the only true standalone episodes of Rebels in terms of standalone episodes within the four seasons of Rebels, and yet it completely addresses two of the major characters of lore throughout all of Star Wars and Obi-Wan and Maul. I, I think it's interesting, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think this is one of the, the more telling, more interesting battles that they addressed in this series, and... Um, I think actually I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to make a little go. predict prediction. Limit slash, I think it was a mistake. Um, what was the I mistake? really liked the way they did it. Uh, but knowing how well star Wars or knowing how well solo did with that ending and then knowing, um, that he didn't necessarily have to die. Like, I think that this was great. I think Filoni, like you said, it was his wet dream. I think he he saw this happening and that this was the death. But I think the reality is if you could have kept this evil guy around a little longer, mm-hmm. I don't think it would have been that bad to like bring him to circle him back into certain things for the time frame. Well, like let me Because you already brought him back to life yeah. in the first place. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I don't know. Just a thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Well, but, let, yeah. let me let me run something by you. Uh-huh. So what was great about the mall reveal in Solo wasn't the, just the mall reveal, but who revealed him and how confident she was, was Kira mm. played by Amelia Clark, right? Right. She very quickly, when she got a chance, disposed of her master slash probably rapist, uh, played by Paul Bettany. Um, and she was a slave waiting for opportunity. She used Han, you know, but w- w- unlike Khaleesi, who ended up being evil in a way that people didn't necessarily buy, uh, or, or like with Game of Thrones. What I loved about Kira's character was even though she knew she had to manipulate and ultimately abandon Han, she was constantly smiling of him being a good guy and coming into his own the whole movie. She's always smiling more and more as the movie goes on, even though she doesn't feel the way he does uh, you know, about oh, him. Oh, no, she does. Oh, I disagree. Okay, well, Ooh, fine, I fine, disagree. fine. We'll leave the romantic stuff aside. But She feels the same yeah. way. She feels the same way. Yeah. She's just somewhere else now. She, yes. she can't. There's no room in her life for a right. relationship. Well, she's she, about to be a fucking number one to Darth Maul. Well, yes, there's like, that. She's not. Yes. But, she knows where she is. And like she was saying the whole time, there is no white, white picket fence. There is no future where we have this kid yeah, and we get she married. She said for minute one. And it's for so minute cute. one. She yeah. said that. Yeah. Yeah. But that doesn't take away the fact no. that she loves him the same way she no. loves her. He loves her. She just understood her situation way more than he understood her, her yes. situation. I agree with that. But I also think there's some Jessica Jones. Uh, un, let's put it this way. There's some Jessica Jones un, um, uh, necessary. Not necessary. What's the word I'm looking for? She has a self-loathing about the bad things she's done. But like Jessica Jones, who was forced to do it by Kilgrave, she was forced to do it by Voss, you know. Uh, But she feels so damaged, like she could never come back. And yet there is a look of regret there at the end when she says bye to Solo. And and Solo thinks he's going to see her again because he's a big dummy and doesn't realize it's over. Uh, But there is a look of almost regret on her face. What I'm saying is Kira seems like the betrayer character almost from the beginning after the initial scenes of solo but she turns out to be very sweet in like her interactions with um uh what's the droid uh, i always forget her name uh K, uh not k2 uh, l l3 uh, l3 yeah 
it's not a coincidence. K L K two L three. I was gonna say K. I was gonna say K three. That was yeah. so funny. Anyway. Well, anyways, the point was she has sweet interactions there. Even when dealing with you know scummy sleazy Lando, you know she does well. And her again, she's constantly smiling, watching Han be a good guy. But more so, I think it's not that he's necessarily a good guy, but that he's coming into his own as Solo. So she's kind of the audience away in the way, even though she's like a semi bad guy. Anyways, so she's the connection to Maul. And Lucas always wanted to do an underworld project whether it took place during the prequels or post prequels or whatever and so uh, you know whether it's an animated series or a tv show or even a movie a standalone movie let's be honest dude alden ehrenreich was great donald glover was great in the supporting role but amelia clark is an a-plus actress who along with lena Headey, uh Maisie williams who plays aria stark um and a couple other uh central and of course peter dinklage i would say those four managed to keep game of thrones afloat and characters people were loyal to even though they didn't know which way they were going because they're such great actors amelia has been great in the movie she's had a chance to you and i both like terminator genesis because she's an awesome sarah connor and i'm so pissed they're recasting i'm sorry mackenzie davis you're a great actress but they should still have amelia clark as sarah connor she was so great um and so what i'm saying is while i would like elden ehrenreich and donald glover to appear in anything connected to the solo movie i think amelia clark is at least as likely as them if not more so because of her mall connection in the underworld stuff that people love both the scum and villainy and the mall stuff right he's the head of the black sun or whatever it's called i think we mm-hmm. i really hope we see amelia again with all the game of thrones connections to star wars what do you think of that theory and then we'll count people into the uh two-part finale i mean i think it's possible and i, I love everything that they're doing and i love her i mean she's great like she's really great. I mean, she's just such a businesswoman in, in, mm-hmm. in Solo. Like she's just really like yep. takes charge, and she knew her goals and knew her position and was able to play it can, very well. Can I just vent for two seconds, Simmy? Because I love you. Yes. Again, yes. I don't want to have a Game of Thrones discussion, but I will oh, say here two we things. Go. Don't try it. No, I will say two things. People being disappointed with an ending after eight seasons of stringing out a story is like the most predictable thing ever in the nerd verse, especially because most Game of Thrones fans aren't actually nerds and this is their one nerd thing. And so people being disappointed with a Game of Thrones ending, no matter what it was, is the most predictable thing ever, right? Um, but, right. but more so, people, and we've talked about this, people confuse, like with Rose Tico, people confuse the actress in, or actor with the character. Like people are blaming, you know how, um, uh, like, you know, you, you, I mean, I know, you know, Adam driver is a great actor, but it's hard for you not to hate him. Cause he's Kylo Ren. You have an awareness at some point that there is a separation, you know, you get passionate on the podcast and that's why I love you. We both do. But you know, when we talk off mic, you know, that Adam driver is a great actor, you know, he's just playing a great bad guy in Kylo Ren, even though we want him to die, but some people can't separate it. And Amelia Clark felt like defensive. Like she had to defend Daenerys after all these seasons. And I'm like, guys, again, it's all about the journey, not the destination. It's the journey with Khaleesi. Like, in some universes, she goes good. In some universes, she goes bad. You know, I'm a fantasy uh, nerd. And so the, the fact that she's a dragon lord it, it calls back to ancient Tolkien and other fantasy, which puts her on another plane of morality. I'm not, you know, forgiving the fact that she killed children and so forth. But it's more complicated than most people think. But again, you know, they're not steeped in fantasy nerd dumb like I am. But she should not have to defend Daenerys Targaryen at all and the fact that Kirill was lovable even as a semi bad guy you know people could get on board with her and I think people are really you know liking her character more and more over time just as I like Solo more over time but does that make sense man like can we just applaud Amelia for eight amazing seasons as Daenerys even though the writing was uneven and the character took some turns that like seemed a little unnatural but she always made it work because she's a great fucking actress look at Lena Headey Lena Headey is the ultimate good guy I, I know I didn't mail it out yet man i'm a horrible person because i don't like going to the post office of sarah connor chronicles i still have it labeled that's a you you. i know that's a me problem but she's such a complicated but great good guy as sarah connor and she's so evil and horrible for most 
of Game of Thrones is Cersei Lannister, you know, but no, you know, but, but Cersei's evil from the beginning, so people just accept it. People wanted Daenerys, Daenerys ultimately to turn good. If you've read the books or just look at the signs, you could tell that she she's kind of nutso, and the Targaryens are mad, right? I mean, the mad Targaryens is, is the prequel right, to the Game the of Thrones that we and might get eventually. telling us that she might be crazy the whole time. That's what I think they're going to do with all the Game of Thrones spinoffs they're talking about. If people get over their supposed trauma, get over yourselves, people. Um, it's just a television series. But I think they might do a, a, a prequel with, you know, Jamie Lannister has the, you know, the Kingslayer and, you know, the Mad Targaryen King and so forth uh, would, right. would be interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, but anyway, sorry, that was my little rant there. I apologize. But the bottom line no is, worries. I think an underworld <laughs> something movie, animated series, TV series, something between three and four post solo involving Kira and Maul uh, is, is a real possibility. And I'm not saying that uh, precludes precludes. Is that a word? Um, I'm not saying that precludes uh, having, you know, solo and Lando and so forth, either in that or something else um, uh, excludes. uh, But I think that would be really interesting and people would be really into it, especially because once people get over the trauma, quote unquote, of Game of Thrones, they're going to realize how brilliant of an actress uh, Amelia Clark is and want more of her. Yeah, no, I think she's the next Julia Roberts, if not more successful already. I mean, in terms of her shelf life is not going to be a blip on the radar because she's already proven Mm -hmm. that she's able to cross over and we don't look at her as mother of dragons. Like I recently saw a pretty decent uh, TV show with Ned Stark's son, um, Rob, I right with Rob. Oh, uh, Richard uh, Madden is one of my favorite actors. He's in a new show that I haven't watched yet on on Netflix or Amazon. He, yeah, it's on Netflix. He's a British. Is um, it good? He's a British CIA agent. Yeah, it's very good actually. And he was able to do it. However, I didn't know if I was only going to see him. Rob Stark's my as fave. Rob Stark. You know what I mean? That's when I left like, Game of Thrones. The Red Wedding was when I left Game of Thrones. I'm like, I'm out. I'm out. Oh, you should watch this. He he plays. Uh, he's a secret service. It's a nice twist at the end, and he plays a secret ser- service agent, not for the president, but for a cabinet member. Yeah. And it's a pretty good story. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, Britain, uh, not America. But mm-hmm. yeah. So really quickly, and then we're really going to count people in. The reason I was pissed about Rob Stark dying. Uh, other uh-huh. than it seemed like all the Starks were going to get murdered, and so I have to eat some crow because of the Stark domination at the end of the whole series with the happy ending, mostly. I mean, Sansa's traumatized. Arya's kind of traumatized. You know, people who hated Bran in the books and the series weren't watching the early seasons close enough. He, if And again, dude, I've read tons of fantasy books, so the idea of a younger son uh, who seems like irrelevant becoming king because of necessity uh, but is ultimately a good guy is such a fantasy trope. And the reason I I loved Rob Stark is because he is completely reminiscent of the fantasy I like, which is dark, not as dark as Game of Thrones, and the good guys are complicated and do make some morally compromising decisions at times, uh, but uh-huh. ultimately want to help people and be good leaders. And Rob Stark right. completely embodied that, and that's why I love the finale of Game of Thrones because they circled back to that ultimately, and then with all the horribleness, uh, the good, the bad guys got what was coming to them. Jon Snow did what he had to do the Lannisters are dead and the Starks are going to rebuild you know which is you know it's not that I need a Disney ending I mean it's called Game of Thrones a Disney ending it it is unfair but I do like ultimately you know that there's a rebuilding process because otherwise it's just nihilistic and everyone's horrible and the world's going to end which is our our normal world and I don't want that right Uh, the show is called Bodyguard Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He was Very great. Good, he was in the Medici series first season, which was really not great written, but he was great. He was in an Amazon. You know how Amazon sometimes runs like a pilot of of a show to see if people like it. He was in a great dark speculative. Like take like the darkest Star Trek or like the Expanse sci-fi. Oh, I like that idea like that. Uh-huh. Yeah, he was in a, where he was going to colonize another planet, and all of a sudden people were disappearing and having hallucinations and stuff. I forget mm. what it was called. It was so interesting it was an hour long i was like oh this is definitely gonna picked up it wasn't picked up so i'm glad he's continuing to get roles and that it seems like a decent series because he is a very good looking and charismatic uh and subtle actor which i appreciate 
Yeah, okay. man, that's a good. Enough cut Game off. of Thrones. Sorry. Cool, man. Yeah, I had to get off. it out. So uh, we are going to move on yes. to Zero Hour Part One. Yeah. Episode twenty, season three. Yes, sir. Of Rebel. Yes, sir. Star Wars. Are you? I want to say something real quick. Go. I just noticed something. Go. It says for ages nine to twelve, and like, which is what we said. But like, some of this shit is pretty dark. Nine is like fourth grade but i told you that story of the restaurant manager i know i know he told I know, me about his great. five-year-old who worships jen Erso and loves rogue one I mean, it's great and when i asked him about it he was like i was a little disturbed at first but you know even rogue one is ultimately such an uplifting and morally upright story and so yes the violence traumatized but as you and i have said before if our kid accidentally saw rogue one at too young we couldn't deep down be that mad because it is ultimately a great message it's still pg-13 there's not a lot of blood even with all the violence and death uh and i just love that little girls worship Jin and not just ray um you know uh and so forth which makes sense depending on your personality right it's like if you're a luke or han person like you're a han person you know i'm a leia person but i guess between luke and han i would be a luke person so Jin and ray it's nice to have that and hopefully rose as well i mean you know again considering the reception that kelly brie tread got at star wars celebration the hardcore good star wars fans love her and she's going to be amazing with jj abrams writing for her uh in episode nine we've got um naomi aki that was her last name uh can i ask you a question real quick yes go like like are her and finn gonna be banging i don't know I don't know because it looks like Finn's with Naomi like, Aki at times. Like, it looks like Finn is with Poe. I think. Nah, yeah, I would say yeah. Poe more than anyone else, other than the fact that, like, she kissed him on the mouth. You know what I mean? And, like, I guess they do weird kisses on Star Wars. That's mm-hmm. something they do. Uh, like, they'll do a kiss in one season and then they find out it was incestuous. Can I give you a Bizzle trope uh, about this? Can I give you a Bizzle trope? Answer? It was just a weird kiss. It, it was, was not necessary. No, people don't like uh, it. The only thing that the only I didn't mind it. It belittled her a little bit and made it all sexual. She was also delirious and, and like almost dead. Yeah, but you can't. It's still a movie though, so like it, there has to be thought into it. You can't be like she's so delirious. No, she see for me, for me, you can Finn, blow it off. You can blow it off yeah. like like later so, on yeah. if they want to. They need to address it. Can I? Can I? Can I just respond to that really quickly? Yeah. For me, Finn's suicidal sacrifice and then her suicidal sacrifice for him made less sense than the kiss. Because like with Speed, with Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock, intense, you know, death-defying situation, sometimes the sexual tension gets ramped up very quickly and very intensely. I always use that yeah, as Yeah, but in the, the movies, in the movies, they don't... I mean, it was implied that, like, Keanu, like, went home and banged her. Kyle Reese and like, Sarah Connor. Terminator 1. Boom. Well, that has to happen. 24 hours. I know. But that makes it even crazier. He tells her that it has to happen and that it actually happens. I'm just saying, I'm just saying is the point, but this is a movie, not like, you know, cause. Can I give you the real answer? Can I give you the real answer? You asked about episode nine. Let me give Uh you the real. So, you know, I have Bizzle tropes. One of my Bizzle tropes is I love subtle romances that are sold late and leave much to the imagination. Meaning. This is one of your favorites. Yes. Meaning. I think we're going to see them flirt early and then mostly not be together. Um, and then at the end, we might get a little, you know, kissy, kissy. Like hand holding. I know you don't want to hear it, man. And I'm not saying Raylo is going to happen, but it's clear Ray and Kylo are going to be the, the, if any weird romance happens, it's going to be between while them. he bleeds to death. But they're going to kiss. They're going to kiss. I'm sorry, Simi. Oh, Get ready. They're going to kiss, even if she's no, faking it. I mean, just like Jon oh, Snow. It's going to be Jon Snow. Like, Honestly, I was watching, him. dude. I was watching Jon Snow and Daenerys. I'm going, this is a combination of my theory and Simi's theory about Ray and Kylo. That's exactly it. He kisses her passionately, and she's really kissing him passionately that she doesn't even realize that she's going to get stabbed. By the way, dude, I know we keep talking about Game of Thrones. I love that the dragon let Jon Snow pass and then didn't take retribution. Like, the dragon almost knew uh, that Khaleesi had to die. And spoiler alert, guys, if you know your fantasy, she's not necessarily dead. She's going to, like, another plane of existence and will be reborn as dragon lords are. So there's still hope for Khaleesi. Hopefully she'll be better in the next life. Yeah, but he... Don't forget, he's also a dragon. I understand that, but the dragons are ancient and have, like, almost a telepathic sense 
about people and the dragon looked at him and, and could, knew I'm telling you dude I know it's weird reading <coughs> a dragon's facial expressions but I tell the dragon knew what he was doing and let him pass because dragons live so long and are so ancient that they have a hold on hold on hold on they have a geological like- sense of time meaning they measure the earth in thousands or millions of years like we do now but people in fantasy stories don't you know and so right. he, they realize that for better or worse they're master khaleesi had to be quote-unquote killed or you know at least taken out in that moment for the balance of the world because if the balance of the world goes completely black then the dragons die too and that's the whole equation but keep in mind that if somebody was the true king in their family he's he's the nephew he's her nephew so he's a dra- he has dragon blood yep. so they can't kill him because stormborn like, as they say right right so y- i think you have a solid point that like they know that something fucked up but at some level it's like if a kid sees their mother and father fighting like they just know like i'm this this has nothing to do with me and that's what i think it really that's what I think. John Snow think. going back to the wall was the main thing I didn't like about John was. John, oh, I actually, that's what I was trying to explain to you too. In that he didn't go back to the wall. There is no wall. It was a lie. Brand lied. Brand lied. But they said he to, can't ever have a relationship and whatever that, but, that, but it was a lie. It was a lie. It was a political lie uh, to, okay. to gray worm. I got they you. politically lied to Grey Worm because Grey Worm doesn't fucking know anything because he's an unsullied. Oh, so the he's Starks are all holding it inside and not saying anything? Right, so yeah. that's what I was explaining, like, that, that they actually basically left as four kings because Sansa is the king of the north. King of the north, which is, by the way, Brand, two-thirds of Westeros is the north. Correct. People don't realize that, yeah. Sansa is the king of the north. Bran is the king of the six kingdoms, not the seven kingdoms. Right. Arya went to see what is west of Westeros. She's a colonizer. A <laughs> she's a colonizer. Yes, yeah. yes. Pirates left colonizers. She's a queen and a colonizer. She's a queen colonizer. And then, and then Bran told Grey Worm that we have this thing called taking the black and they go watch the thing. And, gotcha. and, that, and, then, and then he goes, there's still, a t- you can still take the black. There's still the black water. Black, like that still exists. And Bran doesn't say yes. He just said, or, or, or uh, Tyrion doesn't say yes. He just says, uh, he gets into it and he's like, you'll go there and you'll take, you will, you will not take this. You're not taking. But remember when he goes up there, all you see is women and children and he's walking with them and they're all waiting for him when he gets there. And as soon as he gets there, they all just keep walking north. So he's really now, he's the king of the free people. So it goes, it goes the six kingdoms. The, We're the so north. off book right now. This and is then, great. And then the north. And then north of the north is yeah. ran by, by Stark. Yeah. So they run all of the land that is known. Yep. And then Arya went to go find more land. Yep. Arguably, Anyways. by the way, Sophie... Dude, I don't know if the Dark Phoenix movie, X-Men, that's uh, coming up. That's I don't know if it's going to be written well or directed well, but I will tell you this. Sophie Turner is a brilliant actress, and the fact that Jessica Chastain, blonde-haired Jessica Chastain, is going to be the evil Uh, bad guy seducing the Dark Phoenix to be the evil Phoenix is going to be brilliant. I mean, Jessica Chastain is an Academy Award-nominated, if not winning actress, who I love in everything, and as a bad guy is going to be great. But dude, arguably, Sophie Turner as Sansa Stark's and by the way, guys, quick note, and I'll put this in a separate intro. I'm going to put Zero Hour 1 and 2 as a separate file. Uh, uh, so if you're tired of our Game of Thrones <laughs> discussion, I'll, I'm going to do a table of contents to me so people know what's up with the intro of the commentary. I would people like our garbage. No, they do. They do. I just want them to know what they're getting into. And if they want to jump to the commentaries, I'll put Zero yeah. Hour. So this will be called Twin Sons and Game of Thrones, and then we'll have Zero yeah. Hour 1 and 2. Because, but, twin, again, Twin Sons... In terms of it's the content, very Game of Thrones. It's, it's very Game of well, Thrones. No, it's slow, gonna, it, it is slow, Game slow, Game slow, like and then fast, fast, fast. Yes, yeah. you're right. You're right. Nothing, nothing happens. Ex- like there's nothing in this episode. Right. There's nothing. There's some Empire Strikes Back, and then there's a shocking cool. fight at the end with death, yeah, just dude. like Game of Thrones. But dude, really yeah. quickly, I need to get this thought out. Another reason people should appreciate the final season, and especially the finale, is as a multiple rape survivor and torture victim, Sansa Stark yeah. goes through an unbelievable journey to the fact where on her face 
when she she doesn't ask Bran to be queen of the North. She tells her younger brother she is going to be queen of the North, and she still looks damaged and a little traumatized in her eyes, and she'll never be the same. But the strength that she gains over the seasons, watching her family die one by one, getting raped and tortured, and things that were so controversial and that I hated and that people at least found controversial, if not distasteful or worse, nevertheless, mm-hmm. when you look at the final journey, Journey, in some ways, Sansa Stark has the most, the, the the biggest and most interesting and most epic personal arc I think of any of the characters. I mean, Arya, you kind yeah. of. I always thought Arya was going to be scrappy and killing people and surviving. Sansa, I didn't know what was going to happen. It was so great to see her being her queenly self. I loved her in Jean Grey in Apocalypse, which is a movie that gets better with rewatches. People, I'm just saying, but I love the X Men, so I'm biased. I think Dark Phoenix is going to be at least really cool. Again, with those two female leads. And by the way, dude, Jessica Chastain took Sophie Turner, again, both redheads, uh, took Sophie Turner under her wing openly during uh, the filming of Dark Phoenix and raved about Sophie Turner. I mean, she was saying, like, Sophie Turner is going to, and I'll say this about Amelia Clark, I would put her ahead of Julia Roberts in the future. Sophie Turner, like Amelia Clark, are going to be like the Helen Mirren and uh, Emma Thompson's, you know, decades down the oh, line, like yeah. the first ladies of English movies movies television and theater right i mean yeah, i you know, mean why not yeah why not? i mean it's a new generation it's a whole new world absolutely know? or the julianne moores or the uh so what can yeah. i say i watched three yeah. and a half seasons of game of thrones i dipped in and out throughout the other seasons i watched the finale and i was satisfied and thought it was beautiful from beginning to end i don't know what that says to the people who watched every single episode sometimes multiple times and were dissatisfied um i, I don't know but to me the endings made sense for everyone including danny by the way Way, which when I left in mid season four, she was troubled in killing people, but not necessarily totally mad at that point. But because of Amelia Clark's performance, it totally sold to me in the end. I, I was I was totally well, satisfied like, with everything. Just like anything else, I think um you know, there's no such thing as a happy ending because yeah. it's over. And so, I think that was uh, one of the mistakes of Endgame was not killing more people. I know, I mean, the Black Widow death was brutal. Uh, and obviously, you know, there was like a thousand hours of the Tony Stark's death. But they want to leave death. it open. They they wanted to leave it open for a ton well, of Thor can't die. Hulk can't die. They wanted right. Cap to have a happy ending, which was the, you know, I, I predicted right. the they time killed, travel thing killed, with Cap, but I'm glad they did Cap. it. Whoa, wait, let's be clear. They killed Cap off in that episode, in that season. What do you mean? He's going to die. Yeah, but he had a full lifetime of love with Peggy. Right. That's all he wanted. That's all he wanted. He doesn't care right. about dying. He just wanted a full saying, lifetime. I'm just saying we do need to cap, we need, need yes. to talk Cap up to a yes. death. Like, cause he's dead. I mean, that's a death. And like, they couldn't kill Hawkeye cause he was the one family guy. Mercy. And that was the whole point of starting the movie with him. Oh my God. It was so horrifying in the beginning. It was such a cute ending though. It was oh, such that a, was a cute, that is such a cute. Ending. It was such that's a cute a great, ending. That's a fun time travel ending. It's amazing. And, and you almost thought like they were going to do the the little circle thing that they do at the end of like fifties TV shows as they're kissing, you know, like the with the old fifties music. God, I love Haley Atwell. She's like killing it in English theater. She's like in all the biggest plays in England. We got to get her over here. She loves theater. She does occasional film projects. You know, the Peggy Carter show, Agent Carter was very good. Agent Carter's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think if there's one regret in, in this first era, the three phases of the first part of Marvel, the first 11 years was if you watch Captain America, uh, the first Avenger, in some ways, Peggy Carter in the first Avenger, even more than Black Widow, is the most complicated and strong, badass female character, at least yeah. for a single movie performance. And, it, you know, as much as they try and harp on Tony Stark and his, you know, trauma over his parents dying with the Winter Soldier or whatever, it never really mm-hmm. sells to me as much as Cap's trauma of going into the ice and his obsession and love of Peggy Carter. And that's why they ended with us and, g- and gave it to us. Gotcha. Ended that's a good, that's a good speaking of ending yes so okay guys uh, we'll jump to the next file because i'm going to create a new file uh for um uh what's it called i'm i'm already lost here oh for zero hour zero parts hour. one and two uh it's episode 20 and 21 depending on how you are counting uh simi this was a great sidebar i think we both need yeah, it man. but we're gonna really go right through zero hour parts one and two yeah. uh so simi and i are gonna take five minute break here uh yes. but in terms of you guys jump to 
the next file. That'll be the Bizzles Daily Rebels uh, with Zero Hours Part 1 and 2. And, Simi, I'm really pumped for this. Yeah, man. This is going to be great. This, I mean, it's a great... Uh, I mean, Thrawn's a, get, a great bad guy, mm-hmm. and uh, I really think it's a good ending, and it, it really uh, carries over into season four very well, um, everything they do. So I'm excited. Let's do it. Beautiful. All right, guys. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, this has been the Bizzles Daily Rebels. Uh, join us for the next couple episodes. Um, and, slash uh, Game of Thrones slash yeah. MCU. It, you, know, you know, like when you're having relationship problems, you tell your friend, like, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to talk about it. Right. The Game of Thrones is sort of like an abusive relationship, no matter what your your association is, right? I mean, yeah. You keep coming back for more punishment. It's they killed my favorite character. Yeah. Like, but I can't stop watching. Oh my god, right, all this right, death, right. I can't stop. <laughs> right. It's like exactly. the fact that I watch Rogue One and Children of Men over and over again. Like, what does that say about me? Um uh, Strawberry Cole. Yeah. Oh my god, the sandals. Uh, the flip flops. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, guys. So, That's like my worst nightmare. I know. Uh, among your many worst nightmares. Uh, so, guys, thanks for joining us. May the force be with you. Join us for the next Daily Rebels. But for now, the Bizzlecast is out.